Welcome back to Functional Spirituality. Today, I want to deepen our discussion on what is yoga. And it's funny because I recorded it a few weeks ago and I was looking on the podcast app and I searched what is yoga. And of course, my podcast is relatively new, so it like didn't come up, you know, by a long shot. But I just scrolled through all of these episodes with the exact title, What is Yoga? From all these different podcasts and spiritual teachers. And I really should go through a few of them um, because I have an assumption that none of them actually take the same kind of um, approach that I took in my episodes. Um where they might be actually confirming or, you know, ascertaining what yoga is. Yoga is a union of this and that. Yoga is an ancient practice used for this. Yoga was handed down by this person. Yoga started at this time. Where um, what I want to develop today is our thinking around um, this idea that yoga is actually quite a fluid concept. Um, I was reading a quote by David White, who's a scholar of traditional yoga, we could say, a Sanskritologist, and he said that yoga is one of the most complex words in the Sanskrit lexicon, that, you know, he gave a huge list. It means a recipe, a trick, a lie, a, you know, to actually join things together. So even just in the language itself of Sanskrit, the word means many different things. So to say, what is yoga without defining your um, motives and, you know, your intentions and your context, I just think it's a nonsense term. (laughs) Um, You know, there's no such thing as yoga and You know, what's a little bit tricky that I want to unpack today is how there's no such thing as traditional yoga, which is a painful realization for us yogis. I gave context in my last episodes about how I am, wouldn't say I'm a recovering, I feel like I'm a completely recovered traditional yogi. Um, and I wasn't caught up in it for too long. I would say, you know, maybe five or six years, um, you know, maybe seven years. I was a traditional yogi and I only followed the Sanskrit texts that, you know, my teachers had prescribed about the chakras. Um, and I knew the Sanskrit words for things and I knew, you know, what, not what the new age, you know, explanations were about the chakras, but the real explanations coming from the Hatha Yoga texts. Um, So, you know, it's painful as a um, recovered. It's not no longer painful. Um, I mean, there is a little bit there that I can see still gets triggered because when I see a lot of crazy traditional yogi dogma, I cringe, you know, and I, and I want to swear and I'm confused. (laughs) Um, because yeah, I guess it still hurts a little bit about how, um, yeah, I guess I'm embarrassed <laughs> and <laughs> which is funny because I, I'm sure there's so many of my students from that 
long time period listening now that are like, wait, what? And actually to you are the ones that I'm probably most embarrassed um, around or four or two. But yeah, the tr- there's no such thing as traditional yoga. Yoga has always been a vehicle that a particular society, guru, religion, spirituality, usually within the context of India, but now globally, um, it's been a vehicle that anyone could use um, and really infuse with their philosophy, their theology, and their practices, things that they had tried or have learned, um, or it might just be a whole bunch of rubbish that they're putting together, um, hoping to offer a system to get other people results as well. Um, you know, when I start our teacher trainings, I explain how, you know, yoga is a gymnastic-like sport and or movement therapy that incorporates cultural symbols from the East and spirituality, mostly from the West, um, new age spirituality. However, that's really just for the yoga teacher trainings where we really are, um, using a physical practice. Like I'm teaching a movement practice, of course, with all of the functional spirituality principles behind it, but it's, I'm talking about holding a yoga class. Um, but really, you know, in the land of yoga and in India, there are so many different types of yoga, bhakti yoga, jnana yoga, karma yoga, all of which have nothing to do with moving the body. So what is yoga? How can you make a claim about what yoga is? Um, that's a kind of arrogance, which is very normal. Um, and although it's normal, we can't say that it's necessarily healthy. Um, and you know, it's normal and it's, it's unhelpful very often and we don't want to judge ourselves for it. You know, I, I didn't judge myself too much for being a traditional yogi. I just saw that was the indoctrination that I came under and I saw the, um, the privileges of, of learning spirituality in the way that I did. And then you just realize it and then you kind of need to move on and grow and continue that inquiry and questioning that is the nature of spirituality. And when you stop the inquiry and questioning and you start to say, no, I think I've found it. This is the way forward. You are negating what spirituality is itself is a, an inquiry in an inquiry and uh, a capacity to be present and a willingness to be present. So, you know, there's no such thing as traditional yoga the way, especially the way Western, um, Western yogis who do our flowing yoga practice, the way we want there to be and the way our yoga teacher training manual told us there was. Our yoga teacher training manual told us that Patanjali, there was a man named Patanjali who wrote the yoga sutras. Um, you know, in whatever year, because yogis don't know history at all. Um, They just, yeah. (laughs) So Patanjali wrote the Yoga Sutras and the Yoga Sutras explained to us about asana and pranayama 
and about meditation and about the whole philosophy of yoga. And that was called Hatha yoga and that, you know, kind of proliferated from there onward. And that, you know, that's how yoga was born. And now we're all like clambering and scraping to get back to what did Patanjali really say and what did the, what were those yogis doing? Where, like I said before, if you actually look at history and yoga from an academic standpoint, and the research on this is prolific. I'm sure it wasn't, and the scholars do speak about it, that 20 years ago, you know, even 15 years ago, the mass of yoga study manuscripts, um, documentation, and exegesis on the yoga texts and the yoga systems and the yoga um, philosophies and um, branches, what we have available to us today, you know, there's online papers that you can read, university papers. You don't need to go to university anymore to read all the papers that the um, professors put out. Um, and if you look at those things, what they are sharing about yoga is very, very different than what your yoga teacher is telling you in the studio and what your yoga teacher training manual is telling you. And that's just for the normal like vinyasa yogis. Never mind if you want to get into one of the um, cults of yoga um, that are really formed and tight knit where, you know, what the, the messages that they're pushing are, you know, really off the mark, um, but um, completely like way more accepted because they've got the cult wall you know they've got they're in a bubble they're protected by the um the culture inside of their um little societies and their little systems so some of the things that they teach are way off the mark but at least we're going to just talk about the everyday yoga um phenomenon where we believe that yoga there's a traditional yoga some people don't care they just want to do their power yoga and then there's like the worst people like me that were like, no, I want to know the traditional yoga. And that didn't come from anything in particular. It was just part of a system I was first, um, or one of the first systems I was involved in that, you know, I saw some of the magic of the um, yoga philosophy and of the meditation aspects of non-dual tantra and of classical yoga and also of um, Buddhism as well. And I thought, oh, wow, what is this stuff? And then I was told, this is the traditional stuff. And that kind of put it all into my head from there. Um, but yoga, has it's never been a coherent thing. The yoga that's taught in the West in the teacher trainings has a mishmash of many different parts of yoga history, some of which from actual competing and contradictory branches have been kind of squished in together and repackaged. Um, one, of, I don't know if I mentioned this in the last episode, one of um, my students in our trainings one day called it, re so she was like, so yoga got rebranded in the 15th century. And I was like, exactly right. It got repackaged, rebranded, and then it, it kept going through rebranding. And the insidious part of it is that because it was getting rebranded, it was kind of lending 
credibility and validity um, from the, you know, ancient yogis. However, yoga completely evolved. It went from a dualistic philosophy to a non-dual philosophy, from an ascetic practice to a householder practice, and then back to an ascetic practice, and then back to a householder practice. Um, How can you say there's one thing that's yoga? And I would be really generous to say something like, you know, yoga, it, it normally includes elements of what was spoken about in classical yoga. Classical yoga is the name for the type of philosophy that was spoken about by Patanjali in the yoga sutras. So, you know, maybe yoga is about sitting and breath and focusing, but not really because the word yoga was appropriated by yogis later on to talk about karma yoga and bhakti yoga and, and jnana yoga, which have nothing to do with that sitting and focusing the mind and breathing and maybe putting the body in a posture. If there was one thing that I could say that yoga was or, you know, um, became or, or rose into power as that has never um, left it, it would be that yoga was the first time in that part of history, in that place, that the individual was a practitioner. So it became more about what we now call spirituality. It was a move from religion to a practitioner who was then going to have, you know, more autonomy to study, to choose their guru. Um, So no longer kind of like buying into a system, but choosing a guru and then relying on their own level of aspiration to... Um, explore the path. Now, of course, it very quickly turned into systems and dogma and really became just as indoctrinating as religion and the state um, and was connected to the state Um, and, you know, always was um, as it started to evolve. But that was something that was unique about yoga. So although we cannot say anything about what yoga is, I want to speak today about the lineage, which is exactly what I'm saying doesn't exist. There is a lineage. There is something that has been called yoga throughout history. Right now, there's something that's called yoga. And in 100 years, in 500 years, in 1,000 years, there may be something that's called yoga. And in that way, what yoga is, like I said, it's always been determined by what that society and the practitioners of that time and the yogis of that time called yoga. And, you know, what we also look back over the whole history as and called yoga. Um, And that although that's been changing, I want to really talk about, you know, what is traditional yoga and where did it come from? And... Historically, we can speak about a few key phases in yoga, or at least this is how I speak about it when I'm giving our trainings. There is a classical yoga period with its early classical and late periods. 
There is a classical Hatha yoga period with its early classical or, you know, current and, and late periods. And then there's modern yoga. And of course, a huge player would be the tantric yoga that came between classical yoga and classical Hatha yoga. Um, and this might be, you know, quite confusing. And there's usually I show a timeline kind of explaining this. But classical yoga came about around 2000 years ago. Classical Hatha yoga came about and was established maybe about 500 years ago. And modern yoga is the yoga we know now in our day and age. So classical yoga was established or most recorded and most um, recognized through a very famous text called the Yoga Sutras, in Sanskrit called the Patanjali Yoga Shastra. And the way the Yoga Sutras are known about by yoga teachers and the way that they're spoken about by philologists and Sanskritologists and historians um, who study religion and, and manuscripts, it's a very different story. And, you know, because you're listening to this podcast, you probably think, well, that sounds really interesting. I really want to know what was really written in the text. When was it written? Who was it written by? Why was it written? You know, what's the real story? But that's just you and you're like me and you're a minority, actually. I'm coming to realize, um, you know, where in the past I felt, oh my God, I'm so lucky to be able to look at these things. It's all just there in plain sight. You can listen to the modern scholars of yoga who, you know, have PhDs and decades of every day, 365 days a year study of, of going to India, studying Sanskrit, reading manuscripts, digging in temples to find manuscripts written on leaves and decoding them who are really dedicated to this. Um, there are people that are out there that do this work and the work is on the internet. The work is in the books. The work is in, you know, the resources that, that I provide for people to do their own research about. Um, but people aren't interested in that at all. But it's very interesting for, you know, those that have that um, critical mind and are, you know, interested in academia at least, um, but definitely are interested in context and functionality. Because if you find out why a text was written, it gives so much meaning to the practices. And that meaning might show you that what you're doing is actually irrelevant. That the reason that the, you know, kundalini yogas wear a turban isn't to, you know, hold the magical energy in their head or whoever knows. But if they saw that... Um, Kundalini yoga came from Sikhism and they wore turbans and Yogi Bhajan was a Sikh. It might give a little bit more context to what you're doing. And sometimes the context is amazing as well. It deepens your aspiration for the practice. So the Patanjali's Yoga Sutras or the Patanjali Yoga Shastra, which is a, actually refers to a more in-depth um, 
version of the of the commentary and text that we have in our yoga trainings. Um, it was a huge development in Indian spirituality at the time. Prior to the classical yoga period, there was the Vedic period in India, which ruled for, you know, at least a thousand years. And this was a religious time that respected or followed the caste system that said that, you know, you are born into and you have a destiny of being a part of a different caste of society. How much more could religion and state be connected than something like that? That it's your religious duty more than anything to stay in your caste. And guess who that protected? Definitely not the lower caste, but the upper class and the upper caste. And at this, the upper two castes were the priests and the royalty. And they worked together to support each other. Um, The royalty, you know, gave the priests protection and power and money. And the priests granted the royalty spirituality and access to God through their rites and rituals and religious knowledge and knowledge of the religious texts. And, you know, there were, there were a group of people that were outside of the caste system and it didn't matter to them if they, you know, didn't follow the caste system. They didn't care. They had renounced the world and they were the renunciates, the ascetics, who were doing strange things in the forest. So while society was being ruled over by the caste system and by the priests and the um, royalty, and they were doing their best to keep society moving, albeit, you know, holding their interests quite um, strongly at the top, there were these, um, what later got called as yogis, Ascetics doing meditation and breath work, nearly killing themselves, fasting, doing all kinds of things, maybe setting themselves on fire here and there, being naked, trying all kinds of stuff, experimenting on their bodies and discovering interesting things. Um, You know, holy men in the forest who renounced their desires for anything worldly and were obsessed with the mystical elements of their existence. Slowly, slowly, and this is my story of the history of yoga. Slowly, slowly, these holy men were, you know, because you hear about, okay, there's a man levitating in the forest. There's a crazy man doing that in the forest. There's someone doing this. There's a naked woman who goes over there and um, is praying and, you know, doing some kind of magic. Slowly, slowly, the royalty started to bypass the priests and actually speak with and work with these ascetics themselves. And these ascetics started to, you know, at some point, they started to form a coherent worldview. And that coherent worldview was about burning karma through ascetic practices, 
through different forms of meditation, concentration, posture, visualization, they still had an ascetic worldview, which was that I could get liberated from this existence. I can reach God. I can bypass the priests. I can get spirituality. I can get enlightenment through my own system. And the way that I'm going to do it is by creating enough heat, enough fire of determination and of asceticism to burn the karmic seeds that lay inside me. And the karmic seeds are basically the destiny, the personal destiny that, that one might have. So how do we have destiny? Because we live inside samsara or we live inside a wheel a cycle of cause and effect. My existence in any moment is the effect of previous causes. But I hope that makes sense. But also my existence in this, mom in this moment is the cause of some later effects. And as long as I am the cause of some later effects, I will be responsible for those effects because I'm responsible. And if I can somehow burn those seeds of karma, I will be liberated from a future as a person and my, my personal existence will be extinguished, which is the definition of nirvana, an extinguishing of the person and a release into infinity and into, you know, eternity and freedom of needing to pee and poop and cough when there's a previous cause and think when there's a previous cause. And, you know, we're completely a result of previous conditions. Our entire experience in this moment has been predetermined by all of the previous conditions. So they were interested in freeing themselves of that. And they wanted to burn the karma through their ascetic practices. And as their worldview became more and more co coherent, the royalty and the, you know, the, um, the people inside the caste system started to become more and more interested in what these people were on about. And the collective name for these people and for the, um, the holy men in this region of India is called the Shramanas. Shramana means strivers. So they were the seekers, they were hungry, and they would do anything for their own realization of that truth. And over hundreds of years, what later got written about and named classical yoga in, or yoga, sorry, not classical yoga. That's what we would call it from a historical viewpoint. But what got called yoga in the Patanjali Yoga Shastras, which is a text that explains this whole incredible system and philosophy of yoga, of how a human being can liberate themselves from bondage through a particular practice. All of that 
was developing over hundreds of years through the influence of the shramanas incorporated into the Brahmanical context or, you know, the priestly context as the religion of the time and the ascetic philosophies intertwined and developed and became um, the state became invested in it and supported the research into it and explored it, it became a, an exquisite philosophy. And the philosophy of classical yoga, the practice that they recommend, the recommendation, the goal, the way to enlightenment and the way to liberation is through a dualistic philosophy so this whole idea that everything is one, everything is love is not a classical yoga philosophy. Classical yoga philosophy is dualistic in nature, which says that the entire reality is fundamentally made up of two things. And those two things are consciousness and its object that the entire reality can get reduced to those two things. They don't get reduced to one thing, love, or one thing, the universe, or energy. Classical yoga is a very robust, amazing philosophy of mind, how the mind works, mostly, that says that the way to liberate yourself is to retract your awareness from the objects of awareness and allow it to rest in itself and as itself. Where normally in our day-to-day -day life, we're never aware of awareness. We're only ever aware of the objects of awareness. So we're aware of our thoughts, our body, our goals, the smells, the sights, the environment, our memories. All of those are objects of awareness because they're what awareness knows. But awareness has the capacity to be self-aware and to rest without object. And for those of you that have a yoga practice with me or with other kind of non-dual paths as well, you'll be very familiar with the idea of pulling awareness back from objects and being aware of awareness and, and resting from the attachment, the, the bondage, the connection of awareness and its objects. And all of the philosophy and the recommendations and the, you know, Ashtanga and the, you know, the eight limbs and, and the so on and the meditation and all of that was about leading to training that capacity. So the classical yoga has ascetic roots and is non-dual in nature. And in our next episode, we will chat more about the classical Hatha yoga period, which is very different, very, very different from the classical yoga period. Um, it came, you know, a thousand years later. It's the product of classical yoga going through, imagine what we're, you know, our spiritually, spirituality now in 1,000 years, it went through a massive development, a refinement, you know, different forces, um, different political forces, um, 
cultural forces that shaped what was then called, you know, Hatha yoga. And it's so important to know the distinction between these two so that you don't sound like an idiot. And also just to inform what your practices are. And I think the best part about digging into the history of yoga and discovering that there's no traditional yoga, and maybe not that there's no traditional yoga, because you might just say, well, classical yoga is traditional yoga. In some ways, yes. But if classical yoga is traditional yoga, then it has nothing to do with what you're practicing now, probably. So you don't even want to say that. But what I what I would want you to kind of explore as a statement is there's no such thing as class um, as traditional yoga as I previously thought. Previously, I thought that there was a a line somewhere, you know, maybe the line got a bit blurred in certain parts of history, but there is a line that goes back to yogis, yogis that were practicing yoga back in India, at least a few thousand years ago, there were yogis there. And I want my practice now to, to resemble that as much as possible. That doesn't exist. There was classical yoga, a philosophy of mind. There was the shramanas doing ascetic practices and like, you know, trying to suck water up through their anus and eject it out of their penis and stuff. You know, that has been going on for different periods of time. Do you really need your yoga practice right now to have some traditional lineage? What if you had the intelligence to question your yoga practice right now? that it's valid, informed, efficient, useful, meaningful, and effective for you right now? What are the whole list of questions you would need to ask yourself, your teachers, and take time to figure that out? Do that instead of saying, my yoga is a traditional yoga that comes from an ancient time that no one knows about at all, and just kind of assuming that. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. Subscribe to the podcast to make sure that you stay in touch. And we welcome conversation about these episodes. So head over to Facebook and search Functional Spirituality. And inside that group, we'd love to hear your thoughts and connect with you even further.